What's up, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of Diamond 750, the second edition of this Wednesday afternoon, the 7th of June. Oregon State, the national number one seed, going to the Super Regionals. They're hosting Vandy on Friday night in game one of a best of three. Winner goes to Omaha. I broke it all down right here with Danny Moran of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Follow me on Twitter at Judanubi and use the hashtag Diamond750 to find all of our latest content. And of course, always go and visit 1029thegame.com. Here's my conversation with Danny Moran. Thanks for listening. Lofted back a third. That will fall. And the Beavers have blown it open. Jack Anderson drives in two more. Thoroughbreds get to, to Omaha. I know our guys. I know they'll come to work and, and be ready to go, and they'll, they'll work to get better, and, and we will be better. And we're joined now by Danny Moran of the Oregonian. He covers the Oregon State Athletics beat, a little bit of football, basketball, and of course, this time of year, baseball as well. Find him on Twitter at Danny J. Moran. Danny, thanks for joining us on Diamond 750. How are you, man? I'm good, Judith. Thanks for having me. Beavers go perfect 3-0 in their regional. Now they get Van- Vanderbilt coming in for the Super Regionals. They've been the number one team for well over half the year. Their resume speaks for itself. It's now a 19-game win streak. So you've been covering this team all year. I just parachuted in last week to get a look at them myself. But in your experience from watching them play this season, is this the most uh, impressive form that the Beavers have been all season? I know that's hard to say, considering they've already rattled off a 23-game win streak this year and now have won 19 straight. But in your mind, are they peaking at the right time? Yeah, I don't think you can ever diminish a 19-game win streak. What they're doing right now is really, really impressive. I think the one caveat I would put on it is the level of competition. Um, and, and you and I, I were both there last week. I think Yale despite the fact they don't give athletic scholarship, that that's a really good team. I think there's a lot of good talent on that group. Um, Holy Cross, you know, they won the, you know, the Patriot League. Um, but they didn't have a winning record. And Nebraska, you know, wasn't up to the task, obviously. I mean, I think that was going to be the, the, the big marquee matchup of the regional that never materialized because Nebraska went out in two consecutive games. So if you look back over the course of this win streak and over Oregon State season, they haven't played an NCAA tournament qualifying team since late April when they took two out of three against UCLA. And UCLA is no longer in the tournament. Oregon State's the one Pac-12 team remaining. So that is only to say that I think Vanderbilt uh, this weekend will be by far the toughest test they've at least had in you know, maybe two months. Uh, you know, they they swept Stanford at Stanford before the Cardinal really got rolling, but that's, you know, credit to them. They swept Arizona in late March uh, in Corvallis. And, you know, those, you know, they basically lacked the field in the Pac-12. And now, like I said, with no more teams in the conference remaining, the fact that they closed the year with Abilene Christian, with, you know, again, Yale and Holy Cross, you know, they have, to their credit, for the most part, blown those teams out. It's not like they've been in a lot of close games. They've really handled their business. Um, I just think they're going to see a different level of talent over the weekend. And then the question, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into, is, is injury status for, for guys like you know Nick Madrigal. Where, where is he health-wise? Drew Rasmussen, is he okay coming off a short start? Um, I, th- I think there are a lot of elements that suggest they're peaking. 
but I think there's still a, a few unknowns given the, the level of test they're probably in for this weekend. Were you surprised at the amount of Pac-12 teams that exited in their regionals, given Stanford's late run? They uh, get upset by Cal State Fullerton. Uh, Arizona unable. They they went out with a whimper out there in Lubbock and UCLA as well in the Long Beach Regional. Uh, and you mentioned the Beavers are the last team from the conference standing. I'm sure that doesn't help their cause when you're when you're arguing from a standpoint of well how dominant or how really good is this Beaver team? Who did they play in the Pac-12? Well, look, all of the Pac-12 teams <laughs> exited in the regional. Who did they play in the non-conference? Really, nobody that that good. Um, were you surprised that the Pac-12 didn't have the amount of success in the uh, in the regionals outside of Oregon State? I think maybe the biggest surprise to me was uh, the way that Arizona went out. Uh, obviously, Stanford was the only other team in the Pac-12 to host, and Fullerton's a good team year in year out. I expected them to make it out of their regional. They obviously made it to uh, you know didn't even make it to a game seven. They lost to Fullerton twice, so. Uh, that that was, I guess, surprising. But Arizona losing to Sam Houston State, you know, going out, uh, you know, having to kind of struggle to get through Delaware in the elimination bracket, and then losing nine to three to Sam Houston State. That really didn't bode well for the Pac-12. Now, in credit to Sam Houston State, who was a three seed in that regional, they went on to beat Texas Tech, who was the host, who was a national seed, and so that may speak to, you know, maybe they're better than we thought, but. Yeah, I, I think those two were surprising. UCLA was the only other team who I, you know, who I mentioned. They had a really tough draw. I think when I, you know, they were the three seed in Long Beach State's regional. Uh, for people who may have been watching, there were a few really, really great games between Long Beach State and Texas, all basically one or two run games. And then San Diego State was the fourth team. So it wasn't like UCLA, even though they got eliminated in two games. I don't think they had a necessarily bad showing. They lost by one run to Texas. And they played San Diego State. That was a 13-inning game. They lost by one run. So, you know, sometimes things happen. It's a small sample size. So it's, you don't want to necessarily say, oh, you know, the conference is not that good only because of that. But I think there were only clearly four teams this year who were tournament caliber. There were a lot of, you know, teams that I think have long-term potential who have a lot of talented freshmen. Or if you look at Oregon, you know, immensely talented individuals like a David Peterson but there weren't the complete teams. Now, again, to Oregon State's credit, there's nothing they can do about that. Uh, they took care of what they had to, and I think if you're going to make the argument, well, they are as good as we think, you know, they never really lost. You know, only have four losses and, and three in, in Pac-12 play. It's like, this is a year that if you're that good, you should do that. You should go 27-3, and three, and, and they, they met that challenge. So I don't think it necessarily speaks to anything about Oregon State, but yeah, not a great year for the conference overall. Fifty-two and four speaks for itself, and their remarkable record at home as well at Goss Stadium. Uh, Danny, when you think of the regular season and the regional uh, up to this point, where Oregon State is currently at, what are some of the key seminal moments that you think helped form this Beaver team to where it is right now? You know, I'd say, as I mentioned, the Arizona series, the Stanford series. You know, at those points, I don't know if we knew where all of those teams would finish up, but for them to play who we thought were probably going to be the toughest tests in the Pac-12 that early in the year and to dominate them like they did, um, particularly Stanford. I mean, that was, you know, in Palo Alto, probably not a lot of people saw it, but they had a 15-7 to win where they had 25 hits. Uh, they won 7 to nothing on, on in the Sunday game. 
And, you know, frankly, they've just the amount of one run uh, walk off wins that they've had. I've, I've lost track, honestly, of, of how many times they've done that. But there is just a, a confidence to this team, or there has been throughout the year, you know, if they're in a tight spot, that they're going to kind of come out of it. Uh, I remember Nate Yeski, the pitching coach, saying to me when they got back from their Bay Area trip, you know, they had played a non conference game against St. Mary's uh, or before they played Stanford. And they, were down. This is in the midst of what ended up being a 23-game win streak, and they were down three to two, or maybe even three to one. I think going into the eighth inning, and they just had a sense they were going to win. Eventually, you know, I think it got within one run. Uh, Nick Madrigal, you know, now is the Pac-12 Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year, came up, and I think yes, he said he was whoever he was sitting next to. He said, "We're going to win this game. Like it's just we're going to win this game." And Madrigal, of course, got a, you know. Wasn't a walk off, but you know, a go ahead, you know, hit that yet put Oregon State over the top, and so they just do have this kind of confidence in close games. And like I said, you know, generally they have blown out the teams that you, you would think that they should be blowing out because you know their talent level is immense. They've got a number of people who could be you know top draft picks, uh, you know, on the roster, and then they've got a lot of younger guys who I think have that potential, like Madrigal, like Rainier, who will be back next year uh, because they're only sophomores. I talked to Madrigal shortly after that St. Mary's game because I think earlier in that game he got a base hit off his brother. And uh, what a story, you know, that is. Um, This guy, you can see the raw tools, you can see the talent, and he's even developed over the course of his Oregon State career. Slight of frame, Madrigal is 5'7", a buck 61. Um, But he just seems so smooth, Danny. How impressed are you watching Madrigal's progression in an Oregon State uniform and it's hard not to get excited about how he projects at the next level, all while considering that he's battling this ongoing hand issue since the Oregon series. How have you seen all that manifest itself in Nick's game? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, rare that a guy kind of lives up to the hype in the way that he has. I mean, he was, you know, obviously a top prospect out of high school. He always wanted to play college baseball, so I think he was picked in uh, the 17th round of the 2015 MLB draft, but that's obviously not to the point where he would forego a college career. I think his asking price was too high. So he he's always been the real deal just really since stepping on campus. And it shows by the fact that as a sophomore, he's you know a co-captain along with Drew Rasmussen. Uh, he just can he can do everything. I mean, I, you know, the one probably knock against him at the, at the next level is his size. I think it's no coincidence that his favorite player is Jose Altuve, who's even smaller than him. Hmm. And it's just his speed, his skill, his you know his defense is I think what really um, is maybe the most impressive thing. Uh, we mentioned defensive player of the year. He, he was shortstop at one, at one point in the year. He's kind of flipped to second base. I think Caden Grenier, who's who's there with him, has a better arm than him. Um, but his hands are so fast. He when they do tests at a nearby sports performance center, they measure things like hand-eye coordination. They do a lot of different tests. And he basically maxes out on all of those tests. Everyone on the team I've spoken to about it says, yeah, he's got the fastest hands on the team, and I think the fastest hands that anyone's ever seen. So he can just get to a lot of, you know, different ground balls in, in places uh, that, you know, I think for, make up for his lack of size. He's, he's got good range there. And then offensively, I mean, you, uh, you, heard, you, know, you were there, you heard Pat Casey say after the game when he, he successfully bunted for hits four times, which is still amazing to say, you know, that 
Casey lets him do a lot of what he chooses to do. Uh, you know, obviously the the level of coaching is, is pretty intense at that level. There's a lot of, you know, kind of direct orders that those guys have to follow, but Magical has a lot of freedom out there. I mean, he said the one time, you know, uh, Casey said the one time that he went to Magical and said, how about you bunt here, was the one time Magical said, no, I want to swing. And, and Casey said, okay. Uh, so it's, and then he ended up walking. So he got on base every time successfully, despite dealing with this bone bruise that's lingering. And that's the question, you know, he obviously was able to make things happen in his own way on Sunday in a, in a really, really spectacular fashion. But given that it's a deep bone bruise, it's, you know, not something that I think is going to go away anytime soon. It's going to, it's going to take more time. It's not going to heal in a week. Uh, maybe it'll feel better. Maybe he'll come around, but. Before that game against uh, against Yale, he was one for eight in the two regional games. So we'll see. I think I think that'll be you know one of the big questions this week is is what is his status because the level of pitching is going to be at a different level. We've got Kyle Wright coming in who could be the top draft pick uh, on Monday next week. Uh, he's got a 97 mile an hour fastball. Uh, you know, there's a, and there's a lot of depth on that staff too. So it, it'll be a big question because. Madrid can really make that offense go. The one thing I will say too is his base running. I think is, is important. But he, I gave him credit in my story for for a run uh, when the Yale third baseman made an error. Madrigal was on third base. He basically just knew exactly when to fidget, when to get into the third baseman's line of vision, vision to make it seem like he was going home. And the third baseman ended up throwing the ball away, and Madrigal scored. So little things like that that he can do that don't always show up in the box score, but just put a lot of pressure on opposing defenses. Yeah, that was a fantastic play. I couldn't uh, I, I couldn't help myself but be impressed with that little bit of base running from Madrigal, certainly an all-around player. Um, you mentioned Kyle Wright's coming in Friday night. This might be the most talented arm. I know OSU have seen a few of them, but given the way that Wright projects in the draft, it might be the most talented arm that OSU has seen all year. What do you think are some keys for the for the lineup? Um, and I preface that by saying, this lineup is so deep. And I didn't realize how deep it was until I got a chance to see it in person. To anyone I'm looking at, you know, who's five and six on the chart, and though Adley Rutschman is a freshman, he's a very good bat. Michael Gretler might not be your prototypical power hitter, and there's two home runs on the weekend, including a massive three-run shot. Um and KJ Harrison, who came in as a freshman as one of the top hitters in the Pac-12, he's hitting sixth in regional weekend. I mean, are you are you as impressed as I with the depth that Pat Casey has in his lineup, and should that um, be an advantage to them, even against as talented an arm as Kyle Wright? Yeah, I think Judy, you're exactly right because from, from like what you laid out. There's really if if you make a mistake against one of those guys, you could be into trouble. So it just puts a lot of pressure on each pitcher to be good constantly. Uh, recently, saw this with David Peterson. I mean, Peterson could be you know one of the top five arms taken in the draft, maybe even higher. And you know, Oregon State beat him. You know, they beat Griffin Canning, uh, who at UCLA is another another elite pitcher. So they've seen top talent before. And I think the question is, does Vanderbilt have? more talent across the board. I mean, Wright didn't get the ball in the first game of the regional. You know, I'm not sure if he will on Friday or not at, at this point. But, yeah, the amount of pressure that that lineup can put on. The, the one There's really only one spot right now that they're not getting production from, regular production from, and that's 
um, either left field or center field, kind of the position that Christian Donahue played uh, in left field. Uh, once he came out of the lineup, Elliot Carey went to center, and Stephen Kwan, who was the regional MVP, moved over to left. Uh, Carey actually did have, a, uh, to his credit, a good game in the nine hole on Saturday. It went three for five. But just there has not been a consistent bat. But if, other than that, I mean, you're looking at nine spots who, or, or excuse me, eight of the nine spots who have been, um, if not consistent all year, um, consistent lately and can make you pay. So, I mean, for right, you know, 113 strikeouts on the year, uh, you know, that's his bread and butter. I mean, I think with Oregon State, it's just, you know, seeing is he a guy who's, you know, throwing first pitch strikes or is he getting behind and ca- behind and counts because, I think Oregon State has shown no matter how good a pitcher is, if they're getting behind in account and don't have their best stuff, they can really make them pay. Danny Moran joining us for a couple moments more here on Diamond 750 ahead of Oregon State's Super Regional hosting Vanderbilt. Uh, Danny, I wanted your thoughts on um, a guy like Stephen Kwan and Jake Thompson. These are two guys that are integral to the Beavers' success, one offensively and uh, defensively in the outfield in Kwan, and you mentioned him being the most outstanding player of the regional, the other and Jake Thompson. And I mentioned them together for the sole, um, from the sole standpoint of player development. And I look at Quan, who batted two fifteen in thirty five games a season ago, started fifteen of those thirty five games. Flash forward a year later, and he can do a little bit of everything. He he bunts so well, he hits for contact, and we know he defends. And then Jake Thompson, who has had an up and down collegiate career himself is now, you know, leading the league in, or leading the nation in victories and going out on Friday nights of regionals and getting the job done. Um, when it comes to player development, those two guys in particular and maybe what they represent on a larger scale of player development at Oregon State, what stands out to you? Yeah, no, that, that's big. And the other name I'd probably throw in there is Jack Anderson as well. Yeah. He was first team All-Pac-12 and, you know, a couple of years ago was, was a redshirt walk-on. He wasn't practicing with the team, basically had to uh, kind of do all of his work on his own or, or with somebody else who was a redshirt. And all of a sudden is this guy, who, you know, he can hit in the three-hole for Oregon State, which is wild. Um, but it, it, the guys you mentioned, Quan uh, and Thompson, you're right. I mean, th- those are two guys who have taken the team to another level. You know, obviously we talked about Madrigal. We, kind of, we expected what to get from him. Same thing with, with probably Grenier, who's had a bit of a bounce-back season, and a couple of the other guys you've mentioned. But Quan, I want to say it's out of nowhere because he's always had talent. But, yeah, he got on the field last year because he you know became an expert bunter. That was his way of getting on. But he really, really struggled down the stretch offensively. I think, you know, obviously teams adjust to your skill sets. And, you know, he, he struggled to incorporate, you know, a, a solid offensive game. And that carried over a bit, honestly, to this year, too. It wasn't like he came in to this season and was like an entrenched starter. There was a platoon system in the outfield for a while. And he said, you know, around the, the Bay Area trip that we were talking about earlier is when he kind of started experimenting with his leg kick, you know, minimizing it a little bit and just making kind of a quick toe tap. And that's what when we spoke, and he's really credited with changing his offensive game. He's just gotten more comfortable with his swing and his approach. And yeah, he went eight for eleven in the regional, which is wild. He and that puts a whole different kind of pressure on the defense too, because I think for a while teams could probably look at him and say, "Oh, he's probably going to bunt. We can move our defense in a little bit." And now if he swings away, I mean, he you know you saw the amount of line drives. He was just kind of roping at different points. He can he pulled the ball. He you know sent it to the opposite field. And in the leadoff spot, particularly with Nick Madrigal 
dealing with that hand injury, uh, it just kind of changes the entire scouting report. So that so that's been pretty huge, uh, obviously. And then Jake Thompson, you mentioned for him, he's always had the physical tools. I think this is what a lot of scouts, different people, probably expected from him uh, earlier on in his career. But look, you know, he dealt he dealt with a, a back injury that was serious enough to to take away his 2015 season. He came back last year and, and ended up, you know having to lose his spot in their rotation for the final couple weeks of the season just because he'd have a couple, you know, maybe four really good innings, and then in the fifth he'd either walk, he'd walk a couple guys or give up a couple hits or there'd be an error, and you kind of just start to see that he he lost his cool a little bit. Not like emotionally, but just he, he didn't have his best stuff once he really faced a tough point in the game. And this year, uh, I think the, the Holy Cross game was a good example of that. You know, they were up 2-1 in the fifth inning, uh, he loads the bases and, you know, or, and he even had runners on second and third with one out and was able to get out of that jam and then got stronger as the game went on. So for him, I, he's talked extensively about it's, it's all been mental approach. Uh, and that's what's been the biggest key for him. Like I said, he's always had the physical tools, the fastball in the mid nineties, but this year he's, I think he's gotten a lot mentally stronger. Danny, as I let you go, a lot has to be determined on both sides regarding rotations and, of course, lineups. You have Vanderbilt that played late on a Monday out on the East Coast, swinging out West to no ordinary stadium. Goss Stadium has been electric this year in Corvallis, and it will be again in these Super Regionals. And it gets going Friday, so very short week for Vandy uh, coming out West. And the way that Oregon State is playing but against their level of competition, as you mentioned earlier, now getting a Vanderbilt team that has been to the College World Series. Their head coach, Tim Corbin, has had a lot of success. Um, how do you foresee this weekend playing out? Will the Beavers get the toughest test that they've had to date? And uh, how do you think they fare? Yeah, man, really hard to say. Uh, you know, I think it's probably a three-game series. I, I think uh, you have to give Vanderbilt credit the way that they just pounded Clemson at Clemson on Monday, uh, you know, 8-0 victory to, to take the regional title. This is an experienced team. They've got, you know, probably six guys who could be drafted, uh, you know, next week. Uh, and then obviously some guys who are even younger than that who, who down the road will be. I mean, this is a team that's made 12 consecutive NCAA tournaments, uh, even though not everyone was around. Uh, at, at this point, they won the, the College World Series in 2014. Uh, you know, it is a legit program. And I, I would be remiss to say that this is a series I think Oregon State can easily take to, you know, the first two games. Now, they may. I mean, Oregon State is that good. Uh, you know, as, as much praise as I've given to Vanderbilt, you know, they, they finished third in the SEC East this year. Uh, they've had varying struggles. You know, Kyle Wright, who we talked about, um, as good as he is and as good as he projects to be, has been up and down. So I, I definitely make Oregon State the favorite. Uh, because of that, I, I say they'll advance. That's my prediction. Um, but it wouldn't stun me if it took three games and is, is a challenge for them. But I think, as you said, a lot depends on Nick Madrigal and a lot depends on Drew Rasmussen, who we didn't talk about much. But, you know, for him to only last four innings and throw 73 pitches against Yale, uh, that's a little concerning because if you, this is the time when – you want all three of your pitchers at peak condition, at peak form, and it appeared like he was on that track. He still may be, uh, may be true, like Pat Casey said, that he just got fatigued with how amped up he was to be back in that setting. Um, but they're going to need him most likely to be uh, in top form this weekend. 
Follow him on Twitter at Danny J. Moran, covering the Beavers for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Danny, I hope this is the first of uh, at least a few more times that we can talk here on Diamond 750 Beaver Baseball and that uh, maybe they come through this regional and maybe you can uh, find your way to Omaha this year. That'd be a lot of fun, I would imagine. It'd be a wild ride. It'd be a fun time. And I hope you get to make it too if that happens. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks, Judah.